This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, August 7, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. today's podcast, we talk with Deb Lavender, a candidate for the Missouri House of Representatives 98th District. We'll get with Deb in a moment, but first, a message from the League of Women Voters. I found a great resource online from the League of Women Voters. It's called Vote411.org. Check it out. They have a wealth of nonpartisan information about the candidates and issues that you will see on your ballot this November. Again, that address is Vote411.org. And speaking of voting, I sometimes feel that my vote doesn't count because, you know, with all the money dumped on some candidates, it's difficult for the candidates without a lot of money to get noticed. And you know how it goes. Those with the money get attention. It's an unfortunate fact of politics in this country. And here's the thing. Those who contribute money to candidates get an enormous amount of power and influence. And they don't hesitate to cash it in by getting better tax deals for themselves and sweet government contracts for their companies more favorable laws. Well, you know how it goes. You scratch my back and I'll pass a law for you. The bottom line is that money injects corruption into our government. If you're concerned about it as I am, then join Move to Amend. Move to Amend is an organization dedicated to passing a constitutional amendment to end corporate rule and the corrupting influence of big money in elections. Join Move to Amend and help create a movement toward a true democracy that serves all the people, not just the rich ones. You can find Move to Amend online at movetoamend.org. And one more announcement. We here at Democracy and the Move are setting up an online events calendar. It's still in the early stages, but you can have a look at democracyonthemove.org events. Have a look and see if there are any events in your area, events that you can participate in and express your concerns for America through protesting or meeting with candidates or simply attending an online event to become a more informed citizen. And if you're hosting an event or know of an event that you'd like to get on our calendar, send us a message on our contact page at democracyonthemove.org contact. So today we're chatting with Deb Lavender, who's making a run for the 98th district in the Missouri House of Representatives. Now, Deb has some experience in politics. She was a member of the House of Representatives, having been elected in 2014 and 2016 and 2018. In the last election in 2020, she ran for the state Senate, but was edged out by her Republican competitor. But you can't keep a good person down, so Deb is at it again, running for the State House, representing District 98. And with her background and experience, I think she has a pretty good shot at it. During her time in the House of Representatives, Deb sponsored a number of bills on health care, firearms, and finance. Her priorities include the expansion of Medicaid, protecting women's reproductive freedom, and strengthening our schools. These are the hot topics today, aren't they? So uh, you may recognize Deb. We, uh, we last talked with her on November 21 of last year. So Deb, thank you for joining us at Democracy on the Move and welcome back to the program. Well, Dan, thank you very much. I uh, am 
thrilled to be here with you this today and always enjoy talking with you. You have a great show and I'm proud to be on it today. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Now, you spent six years in the Missouri State House and then you had a couple of years off and now it looks like you're angling to get back in. So is it really that much fun or what? I enjoy the work. I uh, have especially found a niche in Missouri's budget. And so I know these next couple of years, we have a tremendous amount of money sitting in the, in the bank is the reference I use. And we're going to be getting the money from Biden's infrastructure bill. So I think with my knowledge on my budget, on the budget of Missouri, I think I can make a difference in how those funds are going to be allocated to best support Missourians. Okay. And speaking of the infrastructure bill, I'll have to I'll have to apologize in advance if there's a lot of background noise here because they are now laying fiber optic cable right across the street from me here. So they fire up their drills and it just makes a whole lot of noise on my end. I'll try to keep the noise down over here. Uh, so what do you think is going to be your biggest challenge uh, this coming November? Well, certainly green voting. Many people. So we've redistricted and many representatives, elected officials in Missouri have new districts this year. So those who are elected, those who have, are running for the first time, pretty much have brand new constituencies to meet. So the challenge is getting out to voters, meeting voters, making sure they know who you are, why you wanna represent them. So it's the challenge that an awful lot of electeds have this year after redistricting. Well, it's a good thing, right? New people coming in, new blood. Yes, um, it is. And then there's also value in the old blood that has the experience and the knowledge to then be able to be successful in knowing how things work in Jeff City. Okay. There, there is a learning curve. And sometimes if all you have is new people, it's a challenge to truly get things done correctly. So experience it is a good thing to have when it comes to lawmakers. Yeah. Um, it's a big question here, and we're going to get into some of the topics in a moment here, but just in general, uh, what are the big things you plan on working on this time around, assuming that you win in November? Well, as I've referenced to working on the budget and how we can take the money that we have in the bank, we have $14.4 billion sitting in the bank today. We are 49th in the nation for monies we give public education. Teachers and state workers are lowest paid in our nation. So there's a lot of ways that we can take the money that's already sitting there and invest it in Missouri, invest it into our roads and bridges. We are going to be having a lot of work done, but we need a lot of work done. We have hundreds of bridges that need repair and some that are in emergency situations. So there's a lot that we can do to invest in Missouri right now. I wanna make sure we're using the money we have as wisely as possible to get as much done as possible. And that is education, it is roads and bridges, and it is healthcare. Mm -hmm. our, our clinics receiving the uh, dollars that they need to provide services for people in our communities. Are we covering the mental health, the behavioral health? We have a challenge in Missouri that we do not have a good mental health situation for families of children who grow up with developmental disabilities. 
we do not have a good system to be able to provide for children as they grow up into adulthood. And there are lots of challenges that Missouri needs to be addressing. Yeah, there, that's, and we're going to get into some of these issues in a moment here, but one of the big hot topics today I want to talk about is abortion. Uh, the Supreme Court, as you know, has made it clear that they do not think the woman's right to abortion is a constitutional right guaranteed by the, by the uh, U.S. Constitution. They reversed themselves on Roe v. Wade, and my personal fear is that it's the first of many freedoms that, they'll, that they're going to seek to reverse. Um, so what's your take on this? I know it's a big topic, but what's your, what's your take on this? Well, I agree with you, and we can point towards Kansas from yesterday. We don't know the full implications of it, but Kansas overwhelmingly voted on a referendum yesterday to keep the right to abortion in their constitution. And Kansas is about as red as Missouri is, if not more, and so the people spoke very resoundingly. I do think people will realize that we're losing freedoms. It's not just women upset that the Supreme Court took away our right to have an abortion. Men are concerned with the issue as well. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand is why people don't realize there's another side to the coin. If you're going to force a woman to carry a fetus to term, what's to prevent the government from flipping one day and saying, oh, we don't need you to ever be pregnant. We're going to sterilize you today. Yeah. I don't understand how they don't see that government telling people what they can do with their bodies is as obtrusive as government can be. So we're all just kind of perplexed with the the long-term thinking here. Well, I think your fear is well-founded because there was forced sterilization in our history, and I can see that happening again. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, our, our nation has moved forward in terms of personal freedom and liberties. And if we start moving backwards, yeah, it is kind of a slippery slope where, you know, you don't know what's at the bottom of this slope. Will, they, will there be things like forced sterilization? Uh, I was looking at it in terms of like LGBTQ rights. We're going to maybe yes. go backwards on that. Um, interracial yes. marriages. I mean, you know, th- th- it can. There's really no end to how how deep we can go on this once you start chipping away at freedoms from the federal Agreed. level. Agreed. And I think those concerns are real. If we look at this Supreme Court of the United States today. It does seem as if they have issues uh, separating church and state. I think there's a tremendous concern about that across this nation. Uh, There's a rise of people speaking of a Christian nationalism. Yes. We have fought the assumption that we are in a Christian nation since we were founded. And many people continue to stand up for religious freedom, which means there's not one in charge. And yet people forming these Christian nationalism groups is of great concern also. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of way, way back in the Puritan times, you know, when, when uh, many of the, uh, I'm kind of confusing a couple of things here, pilgrims and Puritans, but when the pilgrims first landed on our shores, 
one of the things that they were fleeing from, at least the Puritans one, were, were fleeing from religious persecution, and they set up the uh, area which is now known as Massachusetts, um, and the first thing they did was make it ex- exclusive, right? So they kicked out yeah. anybody else that wasn't right. of their religion. So it, they immediately turned around uh, within a generation and persecuted people who were not of their religion. Well, Dan, what that's the story we all grow up with. But what we don't fully realize is they left England because they wanted to be more strict and severe than people around them. So when we say Puritans, uh, it is people who did not, were not able to practice their religion to the draconian measures mm. back in the, what would that be, the late 1500s, early 1600s? Yeah. And so I, I feel that we've brought that Puritan point of view to this continent that continues to reside in the what I will refer to as more the evangelical people, that they want their religion to be the law of the land, and it is very strict, and most of us don't want to participate in that philosophy of their religion. Yeah. And so abortion, in this sense, is sort of a stepping stone to that end, I suppose. It, it certainly could be. Yeah. So let me play devil's advocate, if I if I may. Uh, what's wrong with say the Supreme Court kicking kicking down the uh, the decision of abortion down to the state level? In other words, you know, shouldn't democracy be decentralized to the point where states can make up their own mind regarding people's rights? It depends on the issue. There was a wonderful political cartoon a couple of weeks ago that I think says it all. The Statue of Liberty was the passenger in the car and Uncle Sam was driving and they were stopped at an intersection and there was a signpost and it had one sign pointed to the left that said blue state. The next sign said red state. The next sign said abortions here. The next sign said no abortion there. So when we live in the United States of America with our constitution, there are rights that should be equitable across the nation. Mm -hmm. My access to having freedom to choose my medical life should not be dependent on state borders. And so I think they've gotten this one terribly wrong. And I'm not sure how long we have to go to fight to get it corrected. But that's part of why we have the United States of America, that we all get to live inside of the same freedoms, regardless of the state boundaries. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, too, that there are individuals within uh, our state representative, uh, um, state representation, that want to restrict a woman's right to cross over the border because there's there's concern that, uh, as you know, right across the river here in Illinois, abortions are remain legal. So um, there is a there is a movement about to try to restrict a woman's right to move across the state lines to get the abortion. Um, that's to me is is I, I don't see how that's legal on in any situation, but uh, nevertheless, there it is, right. I totally agree with you. One of my silly thoughts 
was when a county would be a dry county. You could not buy alcohol in a county. As soon as you cross that line, the, the county line, the state line, we all knew there was a row of liquor stores mm-hmm. because they knew people from the dry county, the dry state, were going to come across and buy liquor anyway. Yeah. It's a silly example, but there's not a way in this nation you get to control who I am and what I do when I leave your state. Your The state laws don't travel. And so I, I just think that, again, shows the tremendous extremes that these Republicans are willing to go to to control other people's lives. Yeah. Weren't they the party of liberty and freedom at one point, uh, no government intrusion in our lives, and now we see it kind of reversing, right, under the, yeah. under the veil of religious freedom. Yeah, no kidding. And, and for people who um, don't like big government, it's fascinating how they want to fit it into my doctor's office and my medicine cabinet, and now in my car or plane, uh, to take a, a state representative with me when I travel to make sure I adhere to Missouri's laws. Yeah. It, it's mm. fascinating the the hypocrisy, the duplicitousness of their positions. Oh, you want to go into sports too, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I've right. had this joke that they should not have any umpires. They should uh, get legislatures out there to call balls and strikes in the ball game there because right. you know, it's going to be, they're going to find some way of, you know, putting laws into baseball and it's just not going to be very much fun to play anymore. Agreed. Um, speaking of, of what I would consider to be somewhat extreme laws right here, we have this thing in Missouri called the Second Amendment Protection Act. And I've talked on the podcast about this uh, many times in the past. The Second Amendment Protection Act, otherwise known as SAPA, S-A-P-A, was voted in by the Missouri legislature and took effect, uh, looks like a year ago this month. So uh, the question is, you know, what is SAPA? And, and the Missouri Times puts it this way. They say the Second Amendment Protection Act declared federal laws that could restrict gun ownership among law-abiding Missourians as invalid. It also dictated law enforcement officers could not enforce federal firearm regulations that could be deemed invalid under the law, holding departments financially liable for up to $50,000 if they do so. So in your estimation, what effect does this have on law enforcement in Missouri? Well, it's had tremendous effect on law enforcement. Law enforcement was against this bill. This has prevented local law enforcement from being able to work with their federal counterparts to watch for gun violence, to be able to arrest people and charge them with gun crimes that we do have at a federal level. It really has just created the opportunity for Missouri to not have to abide by the federal government. This sort of comes back and touches a little bit on, are we the United States of America or are we gonna be different countries? Yeah. And so from the day it passed, everyone felt it was unconstitutional, including the Republicans who passed it. But unfortunately, a judge in Cole County, who is of the Republican Party, prevented the first lawsuit from being filed by saying St. Louis City, County and Jackson County didn't have standing for the lawsuit. 
which many attorneys have told me was just an incorrect decision to prevent himself from having to make a decision that might cost him an election. And it just all seems partisan. It seems political. It has truly tied the hands of our local police officers and, and departments from being able to keep safety in their neighborhoods. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of like the, the judicial system has been penetrated by politics, right? I mean, it's, we've seen it at the yeah. Supreme Court level at this point. But yes. uh, why do you suppose the Second Amendment is such a big issue in Missouri in the first place? You know, I'm not sure of that. Um, I don't know if other states have the same. You know, quite often people will say to me, oh, the NRA has bought these politicians. Well, I've worked with these politicians. They fully believe what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So it is a mutual admiration of each other, the NRA and the politicians that pass their laws, but they're draconian. Yeah. And somebody has stirred up for them that big government's going to come take their guns. Yeah. Now, I have never heard of anything in the history of our nation that the government truly knocked on doors to take your guns, but that has been used to stir up fear among people who feel they need to protect themselves. Yeah. But how do you, how do you as a Democratic representative, um, get people to you know, see things differently insofar as the Second Amendment? Well, so far you can say the Democrats have not been successful in doing that here in Missouri, mm-hmm. as evidenced by the erosion of our laws designed to protect the communities we lowered the age to carry from 21 to 19. We removed the licensing process. We removed the uh, conceal and carry permit process. And we uh, have allowed open carry down the streets of our community. So every time Missouri has lowered the bar regarding gun ownership, we've seen an increase in gun deaths in our state. Mm -hmm. So Democrats have not been effective at doing that here in this state. Other states have, Connecticut has, New York has. Uh, Their laws have actually been challenged in the Supreme Court. I believe they've banned uh, the uh, um, semi-automatic assault weapons. Mm -hmm. They were sued. I think there were four to seven guns that they said are illegal in their state. And a Supreme Court, the challenge was, you're taking away my freedom to own a gun. What I understood is the Supreme Court said, no, there's these other 200 guns you can buy. You just can't buy these seven. Yeah. And so that is being held up in Supreme Courts. People today, the simple, why do we let an 18-year-old buy a semi-automatic weapon? with some of these mass shootings that have been happening around us. I think it's a valid and a fair question. Um, We know the brain isn't finished forming until we're 23 to 25. Why are we letting an 18-year-old buy a semi-automatic, really a weapon of war? And so maybe there's some room there in Missouri. I doubt it. We've not been able to close the domestic loophole. Uh, Men accused of domestic violence are still allowed to own guns because we don't want to prevent them from having due process, which 70 women a month 
are killed by a partner, a domestic violence partner with a gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, we're more worried about the people that are the criminals, really, that have the guns than the people who are the victims of gun violence. And until that turns around and, and we have to see, unfortunately, we have to see a lot more incidents like uh, Sandy Hook or Uvalde or something like that. And even then, you're still going to have a lot of people that are, are going to fight it. And and it, it's it's yeah, I think we could go on forever about that, but I want to move on here. Great. Um, Let's talk about concentrated animal feeding operations. They call them CAFOs, C-A-F-Os. And that's basically a fancy term for factory farms. And this is one subject that really animates me because uh, I'm a fellow Midwesterner, and I see how these CAFOs are polluting the groundwater, polluting our streams, uh, putting a foul stench in the air, driving family farm operations out of business, and largely foreign-owned at that. Yet the Missouri legislature seems to be in love with these factory farms while they shout from the rooftops that they are of the land and for the people. They actively undermine the very farmers that they represent. And, uh, you, you know, you were in in, uh, in office at this time when SB 391, which was on the Senate side, it was passed in the Missouri Senate, and it largely protected the CAFOs from county health departments. And yes. I'll, I'll get kind of technical here, but the bill said, quote, under this act, any orders, ordinances, rules, or regulations promulgated by county commissions and county health center boards shall not impose standards or requirements on an agricultural operation and its appurtenances that are inconsistent with or more stringent than any provisions of law, rules, or regulations relating to the Department of Health and Senior Services, Environmental Control, and Department of Natural Resources, Air Conservation, and Water Pollution. In short, What this law says is that the Missouri legislature governs the CAFOs and not the local population. And in my mind, it's not just the fact that we're getting this, we're getting, you know, polluted groundwater and such. It's yet another in a long list of examples of our state government ripping control from local communities and centralizing it in the capital. So in your view, uh, should we allow these CAFOs to continue proliferating throughout Missouri? Well, no, I'm with you and uh, was on Ag Policy, Agricultural Policy Committee was one of the first committees that I was on. And one of the first bills we heard was to remove the local standards. And I remember uh, having a tussle with the state rep who was promoting the bill. And we were effective in preventing that from passing for several years but finally succumb to the Republicans' will to get it done. I don't understand this one. Maybe this is where money is involved or the the big ag is, you know, Republicans are very proud to to claim that agriculture is our biggest uh, economic driver in Missouri. I know the Water Commission, and I'm sure I don't have that correct, has had alterations, again, uh, legislative alterations on who is on that board. There used to be citizen members. You used to have to have community members on it. And they changed the qualifications of who sits on that board. And now it can all be industry people and all CAFO industry people. So you've now even changed the makeup of the board who decides who gets permits 
based on um, water and pollution and for these CAFOs. And so that's just another layer that they've eroded protections for the local citizens. How do they convince farmers and, and people in the rural areas? I mean, it, it, we've heard this expression, uh, blue dot in a, in a red state. Well, Missouri, you know, supposedly is a red state, although I somewhat doubt that, but largely red state. And how do they convince farmers and the rural people that, that, the, that the Republicans are looking out for their best interests <clears throat> when we have laws like this that are that are being passed and actually driving a lot of them out of business. If, if nothing else, it's degrading the, the value of their property because now their property may be um, poisoned from groundwater or the streams are poisoned. Um, how do they do this? How do, how do the Republicans pull this off? Well, uh, it's not issues that they run on. If you haven't met Jess Piper yet, She's running in Northwest Missouri, and she is a Democrat running on these issues you just brought up. Mostly the Republicans running for office over the last decade, if not two decades, start with right to life. They make abortion be the issue of their campaign. They make guns be the issue of their campaigns, the same um, order that we had today. And they promote that. They have been extremely effective in denigrating Democrats as killing babies, wanting your guns, and leaving God, that we are godless. And they have been very, very effective in this state in using those issues to have people vote Republican. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure how, and then Fox News reinforces what the politicians in Missouri are saying. And I'm not sure a lot of them realize what is happening in the state house that affects them on a daily basis, including these issues. You do have a rural network of farmers that do fight for these issues, but I, it certainly is not the majority of the population in the state of Missouri. I was just going to ask that question, though. What can farmers do to stop this march toward um, having a CAFO state? And I guess what you're saying is they've organized, but they haven't um, been successful yet in in having a big voice. Huh? And as we say that, I do think there was a CAFO closer to Kansas City that was being regulated by communities that I believe they finally closed down or moved out. And it might have been inside of the size of the herd they wanted to have. And I apologize, I don't remember if it was pigs or cows, but I do think there was one in Kansas City that a community was successful in preventing an expansion of a CAFO. Okay. Well, that's what it takes. We should look at what they've done and, and what their formula was. Uh, yes. One last uh, question about on, on this topic here is what can, what can, uh, what can we do or what laws are there any laws to prevent foreign ownership of farmland here in Missouri? I believe on the books, we are not supposed to have, to have more than 10% ownership of farmlands, but I also understand that's extremely challenging to control and manage. And so my guess is that's never looked at. I don't fully understand the process of 
corporations and who you're registered as and where you're registered, I think it gets very tedious to be able to trace back the ownership, which is why I think farmlands are owned by much more than just 10% of foreign um, corporations. Yeah. Foreign. Well, corporations can play this shell game in a sense and sort of hide their real ownership. I think that's part of the challenge in determining ownership of each plot of land. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to initiatives and referendums there. And I would just start by saying that there's a lot of things that, that I personally love about Missouri and believe it or not, when compared to other states, I think Missouri is, in my opinion, still fairly progressive in a sense. Uh, one of the things I find that I really appreciate, uh, appreciate about Missouri is that roughly half the states in the union still ha still allow citizens, or Missouri is one of roughly half of the states in the union, that still allow citizens to have a direct voice in their laws. Uh, through initiatives and referendums. Um, I'm not sure if I got this right exactly, but initiatives are essentially citizen-sponsored movements that can effectively draft laws and amend the state constitution, whereas referendums are similar, but they're, they're started by the legislature, that the legislator refers a piece of legislation to the people to approve or reject it by vote. And we've seen major pieces of legislation in the recent past, um, such as clean, the, the Clean Missouri Act, which attempted to govern gerrymandering based on a set of simple rules spelled out in the initiative. Another initiative brought Medicaid to many Missourians that otherwise couldn't afford health insurance. Now, never mind the fact that Clean Missouri was kind of deep-sixed by the legislature in 2020, which is a shame, but the right. overall concept is, is a wonderful example of citizens in action. But now I've, I'm seeing a lot of legislatures out there uh, considering making it more difficult to conduct initiatives and referendums. And they're, they're increasing the number of signatures required, they're increasing the number of, of, of um, geographic areas that have to be covered by the signatures. Uh, this is a dangerous turn of events, in my opinion. It threatens our precious and rapidly evolving democracy. Uh, can you comment on this development? Well, I agree with almost everything you've just said, and I believe it's the same if, if we're sensing a pattern in this conversation, it's that Republicans want more and more control. And this is just another way to strip control from the people. They want the process to be more onerous. They think it's too simple. And yet I got to tell you, the process to get signatures, to get them successfully on the ballot and to get them passed is a multi-million dollar proposition. It is not a simple process. And we know that right now, because ranked choice voting did not receive enough signatures to be on the ballot next year. And I believe recreational marijuana is still going through a counting process to see if they'll end up on the ballot. It's not an easy process, but Republicans want to make it an impossible process because they truly don't represent the people of the state. They represent having power and wanting control and want to be able to manage all of it. And this is just another very public arena that they're trying to do it in. What can um, what can you do about it once you become a member of the state house, assuming that you win this next election? And um, let's just say, you know, you mentioned Jess Piper earlier that say she wins her district as well. And we start getting more uh, people who are not Republicans into the state legislature, 
what can what can be done to um, you know protect well, the initiative process? That, that's how it works. The Republicans have had what we call a supermajority for many years, and they just lost that this last session. A supermajority is two thirds of the chamber is one party. And when you have two thirds power in a body, the House or the Senate, you truly don't need the other party even to make quorum. You can do all of your business without the other party being involved. Mm -hmm. When you lose the supermajority and when you start to have balance again in a state, you need the other voice to be able to be at the table or has to be at the table. And that allows a combination of ideas for compromise. And compromise is going to give you a better bill in the end. So we have swung so far to the Republican side, Democrat voices aren't heard, are not valued, and really don't play a role in the governing process. Yeah. I had a wonderful gentleman who had uh, donated to one of my previous campaigns, and he was more Republican, more center, would not be happy with Trump's party today by any means. But he donated to me and he wrote a little note to me. He said the eagle on the top of the flag has two wings in order to fly straight. If you take one of the wings off, it will never fly straight. Missouri has become too Republican to be able to fly straight. Good luck with your campaign. Wow. Well, that's yes. encouraging. Yeah. Well, and if you really think of the analogy, that was pretty thoughtful. Yeah. Uh, and we have still, Missouri operates with a one-winged eagle when it comes to the state house. We need to get the margins closer. Uh, we are most likely a Republican state for years to come, but by not being in the supermajority, is when we allow people to have conversations that matter with all voices being heard at the table. But I think the word compromise has become a dirty word, hasn't it? You know, it, it's uh, and that really is what the legislatures are for, right? They're they're down there on the floor uh, debating and compromising, and I'll support you in this bill if you support me in that bill, sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's become a dirty word lately, hasn't it? Well, but that's where we can see the extreme partisan and we see people in control. So it's become a dirty word because there is one party in power that wants to maintain power. So they don't want to work together. We have become, it occurs, we've become a nation where politicians are much more concerned with staying in power than the work they do for the people they represent. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been pretty apparent for quite a while. But, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I don't I don't necessarily hold Democrats innocent in that regard either. I've seen that uh, one of the one when it comes to gerrymandering, for example, one of the arguments I get into online is uh, when, when Missouri was going through this gerrymandering process and, and, and redistricting uh, our, our, our territory for for months, it seemed like. And one of my comments was, you know, it should be fair in Missouri. You know, it was it was it's basically 60, 40, 60 percent Republican, 40 percent Democrat. If you look at all the polls at, at all the uh, previous elections 
and um, but they wanted to make it, you know, uh, more like 90-10 or maybe 100-0 in favor of Republicans. I says, well, how can you justify that? And the, the word I kept getting back was, well, look at what New York is doing. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you got a point, you know, because, you know, it's just the opposite. It's it, the same thing's happening, but the opposite party in, in New York State. Um, right. But that does that really then basically people in New York feel cheated now, the Republicans feel cheated in New York, does that justify cheating 40% of the people in Missouri just because New York is doing it? And I'm sure it's going to make people in Missouri feel a whole lot better. You know, so. Well, I agree with you. And that's where we, we uh, bring out our mother's favorite saying, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you too? Yeah. And so just because somebody is engaging in behavior that's not appropriate doesn't mean it makes our doing the same okay and that's what clean missouri attempted to do was to create a non-partisan division of the state that represented the people who live here yeah yeah to actually make it 60 40. yeah um I'm going to take a step back here. We're going to get back into the issues shortly, but I want to take a step back here and take a look at the theory of the duopoly itself. I mean, it, in this country, we have what's called plurality voting, which means first past the post. The, the person who gets the most votes wins. And uh, it's really hard to sustain a multi-party environment when you have that type of voting system out there. And I think that's what ranked choice voting was trying to address in some ways was you know, bringing forth uh, more plurality in our, in, our, in our parties. Because you know, my opinion is that uh, the duopoly, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, people look at you as if you're one or the other and they don't quite understand that you, know, you can be an independent. And, uh, and, and where, you know, where do the independent voices go? We have no party to, to represent us. Uh, so we have, you know, when it comes to voting, we have to make a choice, Democrat or Republican, D or R. Um, do you suppose the duopoly itself, we should we should focus in some ways, and this is sort of a long-term question here, but do you, fo- do you believe we should focus in some ways on addressing the duopoly problem and making it a uh, multi-party system, a truly multi-party system? Dan, I, I don't know. I over the history of our nation, we have had independence attempt to break into the two-party system. Uh, somebody made a reference to, um, oh good, t- not Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, yeah, the, Teddy, yeah, the Bull Moose Party? The Bull Moose Party. Mm-hmm. And so there have, and you know, obviously a famous man had served as president for two terms. I believe it was two terms. Oh no, it was one term, right? I think it was one well, and a half, wasn't it? It was. Yes, yeah. I think you're. I think one and a half. So we've had attempts to do that. I do think, as you've pointed out, this ranked choice voting might get us better representation. In that today, the extremes on the party ends seem to win mm-hmm. because they don't because of gerrymandering you are gerrymandered into a Democrat or a Republican district. We know from last night, there were seven, I believe, highly contested state Senate races, and they pretty much know who will win in November because of the district they're in. Yeah. I read an art, a publication this morning that is already saying 
Parsons should figure out who he's appointing as attorney general and treasurer because Schmidt won his primary and Fitzpatrick won his primary for auditor. And I was just annoyed that not 12 hours after results are in, this person has a foregone conclusion that the Republicans will win in November. Yeah. And how sad is that to just wipe out the opinions of, even if you're saying 60-40, I think that's close, but to wipe out the opinion of 40% of the state within 12 hours over the course of the next three months. Yeah. So it, it is frustrating. And the ranked choice voting here, for me to complete that thought, you have to start talking to people more in the middle to be able to get their votes because you need both sides now to make that decision. Yeah. And so that might be how we can pull the parties back towards the middle is by implementing the ranked choice voting. Yeah. yeah you, you brought up something interesting, too, because these districts are so gerrymandered and the way that Missouri does things and other states do the same thing, too. We don't have what we call open primaries. We, when you go into the polling place, they ask you, do you want a Democratic uh, ballot or a Republican ballot or you know, one of the independent party ballots? And uh, right there, you have to make the choice. And that really is where the choice is being made because the district is so heavily gerrymandered. Only the Republicans can vote for yeah. the person who will become the presumptive leader or the presumptive right. winner in, in November. So I, I think this is uh, the way it's working out. I think it's highly illegal. I think it's illegal the fact that, uh, if nothing else, it'd be immoral, the fact that uh, Missouri taxpayer pays to run these elections and we are prevented from voting in them. Um, yeah. I mean, I would, I would. anyways, we're kind of getting sidetracked here and I, I do want to wrap things up so shortly here. We did talk about education earlier and I just want to get your opinion. Is education under attack in Missouri? And if so, how so? I'm not sure education is under attack. Public education is under attack. And we are attempting to take public tax dollars and use them for private religious schools. Uh, There was a Supreme Court ruling in June that many of us are discouraged by that a religious school sued based on the freedom of religion to use state tax dollars for uh, their tax dollars to go to a religious school. Yeah. And the Supreme Court agreed with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think, and then the safety of schools, the school masking, the teachers leaving the profession, I think our education system is going through a significant upheaval. The radio stations made a big deal out of The state of Missouri wants to ask teachers why they're leaving in droves. You know, and and I heard it on multiple stations uh, trying to get teachers to answer these questions and how sad that we have a survey to find out why teachers are leaving in droves. We know why they're leaving. We don't pay them well. We are starting to pass laws, not in Missouri yet, but it's coming too to hold a teacher personally liable and responsible for saying something a state legislature has decided they shouldn't say. Yeah. yeah. You look at Florida, don't say gay, uh, you know, the critical race theory laws mm-hmm. that are going to prevent the teaching of history in our classrooms. 
And so, of course, they're under attack. And we're going to be challenged to see what happens. Well, it's not um, like we're paying them a lot either. I mean, the, the lowest salaries, uh, Missouri is either the lowest or the second lowest salary across the U.S. in terms of yes. teacher salary in, for public schools. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, just wait till um, just wait till somebody wants to get public uh, tax money to support a, 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 a madrasa or something like you know, a, 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 exactly. a school that teaches Islam. Um, <clears throat> wait till that happens, and then then you're going to see some changes in the laws at that point. And I think somebody should push it. Maybe you know, maybe not with madrasas, but any, any other type of any other type of school that's that's not part of the Christian nationalism uh, sort of um, conforming yes. school and yes. see what happens then yeah right we could right. start our own religion you know and just have a school, <laughs> get some public um, money for that <laughs> john on uh, last week tonight or this week last week what is john's um john stewart or john, no john oliver john oliver he i saw one of his programs and this is at least a year or two ago he created a religion based off of these evangelicals uh, model of please send me all of your money. And he just pokes such fun at how these people raise their money and then what they did with it. And in a relatively short time, I forget how much money he raised, hundreds of thousands of dollars, I think. Now he donated all of his to charity, but the whole point was, look at how easy it has been to raise this money. And this is what these people do. Yeah. Wow. So we, we could uh, start our own religion if you'd like. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, get the fancy cars and everything. I, you know, I couldn't do that. My conscience wouldn't let me do that. I know. I, I completely agree with you. Well, so. uh, we could hit on healthcare here. I know we're running out of time here, but uh, do you have any words on healthcare that you'd like to say before we uh, wrap it up? Well, the state has expanded Medicaid, but unfortunately, the mechanism of Missouri, people have still been waiting on waiting list for 90 to 100 days. Uh, federal standard or federal law says it should be done in 30 days. And this is where I come back to money in the bank. There is a Medicaid stabilization fund that has more than $300 million in it. Why have we not taken that money and hired extra people, <clears throat> paid them bonuses, paid them um, a piece rate? Every person you sign up, I'm going to give you a bonus of $10. Mm -hmm. We have so much money that could have been used to incentivize the workers to get people signed up for Medicaid. Yeah. We have social the social service department in Missouri is dangerously challenged to provide services for people in this state. I think a headline in today's paper that I haven't seen yet is how awful it is that the state is not providing low-income people with food. And so we are not doing a good job as a state in providing for those who are in need. And so I'm putting all of that under our health care we might think we've passed Medicaid expansion. Phew, isn't that great? We can sit down now. But I think the structure of fulfillment in Missouri is deteriorating rapidly. That is from a salary point of view. 
It is from a um, numbers point of view, how many we have. People are leaving these positions and we're not hiring people to replace them. We're not able to hire people to replace them because there are better jobs in other locations that aren't looking at a travesty of services that are not being provided to people. The need is great and we're not filling it at all. That's kind of the playbook of, of political opponents, right? To just defund things that you don't believe in. So um, yeah. a certain political party that will remain nameless for this conversation uh, has not been enthusiastic at all about uh, Medicaid for Missouri. So uh, they've tried ever since that, uh, ever since the initiative passed, they've been trying to defund it one way or another. And this is just yet another um, uh, attempt to defund Medicaid. Yes. What yep. I find interesting is Spencer Toter, I know you know who he is, he ran for a senator uh, on the Democratic side. His team actually signed up, I don't know how many thousands of people, they actually signed up for Missouri Medicaid. Uh, and these are people that didn't realize before then that they could actually sign up for it. So they actually, he spent a lot of his own uh, campaign time signing up people to take advantage of Missouri Medicaid. And nice. it's, it's, yeah, it's an example of, you know, just someone getting out there and doing it and saying, Hey, you know, this, this is here, let's, let's use it. Uh, but, uh, I think like you say though, that a lot of it's being defunded and that's not going to, um, help things out very much, especially when you have to wait 90 to hundred days to, um, to get it, uh, right. to, get it to go through. Right. Uh, yeah. so, uh, we have to wrap it up at this point. What can our listeners do to learn more about your campaign and get involved? Well, I certainly have the website that everybody else has. It is uh, lavenderformissouri.com. I am certainly on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we've recently opened a TikTok to, um, I have high school students helping with a campaign and we just had a fun day getting our TikTok started. They're all uh, at Deb Lavender. Uh, so you'll be able to easily find me and as much as getting involved in my race, Dan, get involved in a Democrat race. You know, call your local candidate, help them go door to door, help them make phone calls. Look, today, phone calls are truly 90% we leave a message, but we feel that's important that people have a message. First off, people don't answer their phone, but second, if you leave a message, they listen to it. So the message starts with, I'm working for Deb Lavender today. We are working for access to healthcare, public education. We have a, a short little message that we leave. We think it makes a difference. We think people hear my voice or hear my volunteer's voice. So there are lots of things that can be done to help Democrat candidates across the state. Uh, I'm gonna take us back to how we started in Kansas. They passed a referendum making sure abortion stays legal in their constitution. So we can make changes, but there was a tremendous grassroots effort in Kansas that had that happen. That's what we need in Missouri. And we need people who are willing to take that on and do that work. Okay. And that's uh, Lavender for Missouri. Is that F-O-R for, or is it the number four? It is F-O-R. Thanks for asking. Okay, yeah, it's, uh, people do it both ways. So lavender, and lavender is spelled just like the, the flower or the, yep. the, the with color. A, with a, yes, with an E-R at the end. Sometimes people want to put an A-R. It's L-A-V-E-N-D-E-R. Okay, lavenderformissouri.com. 
We've been talking with Deb Lavender, candidate for a Missouri House seat, District 98. Deb, thank you once again for joining us on Democracy on the Move, and good luck with your campaign. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead, and we hope you'll tune in again next week. <music>